0: Well, if you have your Bibles with you, I'd invite you to turn in them uh, once more this morning to the book of Acts. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, uh, the passage is in an insert in your bulletin, as well as we have some Bibles on the back table for you. By my count, uh, this is the 25th sermon in the book of Acts. Uh, It's a lot of sermons. We're about halfway through this book. And uh, I have decided that uh, for your sake and my sake, uh, this is the last sermon I'm going to preach from the book of Acts for a time. Uh, we're just going to hit the pause button. This is a good place for us to pause our study of this great book and uh, move on to something else, particularly for the summer, when I know many of you uh, will be in and out. Uh, we're going to spend the summer, uh, last year we spent the summer in the Psalms. This summer we're going to spend in the Proverbs. And so we'll be looking at uh, various groups of Proverbs and studying God's wisdom uh, during the summer and uh, maybe even into the fall. We'll see how it goes. Um, Next week we're going to, as I said earlier, we're going to celebrate God's faithfulness uh, as we are officially organized. And uh, you have a treat next week because you'll have a Hitchcock in this pulpit, but it won't be... Nate Hitchcock. It'll be Bert Hitchcock. Uh, my dad is going to once again preach as part of that Presbytery Commission. Uh, he's going to open up God's Word, so I'm excited about that. I know you are as well. But today we turn to Acts chapter 15, and we're just going to look at the first half of Acts. Well, a little more than half, I, I suppose. Uh, Acts chapter 15, the first uh, 35 uh, verses. Remember where we are in this story for those of you who are visiting, uh, We've been walking through this book of Acts chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and Paul and Barnabas, this missionary um, duo we have been following, uh, has just finished its first missionary journey, Paul's first missionary uh, journey as he took the gospel uh, westward. Uh, Onto the island of Cyprus, across Cyprus, and then into um, Asia Minor to the cities of Pisidia, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Derba, Derby, which is all of that is modern day Turkey if you know uh, your modern day uh, geography. It's a trip that for Paul and Barnabas has been riddled, has been fraught with challenges and dangers. Not the least of which has been the opposition that they're getting to their message from their own kind, uh, from Jews who are struggling uh, to hear this news that Paul and Barnabas are proclaiming. It's a struggle, it's an opposition that we're going to see this morning follows them back to Antioch, the place where they began. And so that's where we are in our story. Listen as I read Acts chapter 15, verses 1 through 35. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them in order to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and he said to them, Brothers, you know have been able to bear. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent and they listened to Paul and Barnabas as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. And after they had finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon, that is Simon, that is Peter, has related how God visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for His name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, after this I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders and the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. And they sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who were of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, Greetings. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Well, thanks for bearing through. I know that was a lengthy uh, story, but it all fits together, particularly as we, uh, as we bookmark and uh, end our study of the book of Acts for a, for a while. I want to talk about three things this morning from Acts chapter 15. Three things I think uh, Luke and the Holy Spirit draw our attention to. Grace, the church, and love. Grace, the church, and love; Those are the three themes that we're going to center our, ha- our hearts on for the next few minutes. And of course, I want to do that by, guided by, by three truths uh, that represent and that kind of come from each of those words. And the first truth is this. Jesus is enough. And kids, if you're writing that down as a first point, put an exclamation point at the end of it. Maybe even two exclamation points. Jesus is is enough. You know, we live, you and I, in a world of fakes. We live in a world of knockoffs. A couple years back, I, I bought a uh, golf club on eBay, and I thought it was a certain name brand, and I bought it, and it was cheap, and when I got it, I realized why it was cheap. Uh, because although the pictures look good online, there was, there's, there's a couple little things off. That revealed itself as a counterfeit, as an imposter. If you've ever traveled overseas, you probably have seen that uh, there's a lot of knockoffs, there's a lot of imposters, there's a lot of companies that are desirous to reflect American brands to their foreign consumers. Just an easy search online, I found some of these. These are all totally legit brands. There are, you can purchase in some places, uh, skirples. Skirples, which are, are sharpies. They look very much like sharpies, written like sharpies, but they're actually called skirples. Um, there's arm and hatchet baking soda you can buy in some countries. No lie, arm and hatchet. There are uh, cream betweens or Boreos, um, both knockoff Oreos. Then there's uh, Dr. Thunder instead of Dr. Pepper. We actually have Dr. Thunder here in the United States. You can purchase that. There's there's uh, Sunbuck's Coffee. No lie, Sunbuck's Coffee. And my personal favorite that I found in my search for counterfeits and knockoffs was instead of I can't believe it's not butter, that well-known brand that we have, uh, they there is the brand Wow! I totally thought it was butter. No lie. It says that on the canister. No lie. Obviously, these counterfeits, these knockoffs, uh, they're funny. We can spot them from a mile away. But the fact of the matter is, as we study the book of Acts, in the year 48, about, the counterfeit, the imposter that uh, that is showing itself is much more serious. Because essentially, it's a counterfeit gospel. A counterfeit gospel which is no gospel at all. Paul and Barnabas had just spent two years of their lives risking life and limb, traveling the world, or at least this part of the world, proclaiming to Jew and to Gentile alike salvation through the risen Jesus. And their message was consistent. It, was, it summarized well in a passage we looked at a couple weeks ago as Paul sp- spoke to the, uh, the people of Pisidia Antioch and he says in Acts 13, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, that is Jesus, the forgiveness of sins was proclaimed to you and by Him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by in the law of Moses. Grace. That's Paul's message. Grace. That's the message of Jesus. That was the message of Jesus then, and it's the message of Jesus today. And as we learn from verse 1 here in Acts chapter 15, that message is being challenged because essentially the question is being asked by some in the church... Is Jesus really enough? They say, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And in classic Lucan style, he's done this before, it's like the understatement of the century, he writes, Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them. You think? You think it was no small dissension and debate with them? Brothers and sisters, this was a huge issue for the church. This was not theological nitpicking. This was at the heart of the Gospel. These men from this Pharisaic wing where Paul used to be, they weren't just suggesting or inquiring. They were teaching the church That while it was okay, they were fine. They had gotten used to the idea of Gentiles being included in their assemblies. They still needed to become ceremonial Jews in order to really be in. In order to really be one of God's people. In order to be saved. You see, being circumcised, that sign of the covenant that was given to God's people, to the males of God's people all through the Old Testament was more, it, it meant more than just that one physical sign. It represented all of the old ways, all of the old covenant, the kosher food laws, the celebration of special days, and other what we would call ceremonial aspects of the law of God. What they were essentially saying was, Jesus isn't enough. It's great that Jesus came, it's great that He's the Messiah, but He's not enough. Really what we need is Jesus plus. And you better believe that Paul and Barnabas got fired up about this. You better believe that Paul got fired up about this because he already knew that this was an issue that had been creeping into the church. In fact, he had already written to the churches of Galatia about this very issue. We have that letter. It's called the book of Galatians. And he writes to the Galatian church in Galatians 1, 6, and 7. Prior to this council, prior to Acts 15, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ, and you're turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one but that there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. And throughout the book of Galatians, read it this week, throughout the book of Galatians, he hammers home the point that the law is not going to do it. The law doesn't justify. The law doesn't make us right with God. Only faith in Jesus. Now, but before we get too hard, I know I'm kind of getting hard on these Pharisees. Before we get too hard and come down too hard on these men, we need to recognize, I think, where they came from. They they came from generations upon generations of tradition and practice. It was good and it was right for them to value circumcision, for them to value those aspects of God's law that had been part of their lives for so many years. They were understandably struggling with the newness that Jesus brought and all that that meant. Everything was changing for them. But even giving them that small benefit of the doubt, this was a disagreement in the young church of Jesus that that the disciples weren't going to mess around with. It stuck at the very heart of the message that they were proclaiming. And so what did they do? They heard about this going on and they said, we need to meet. We need to gather together. And I want to talk about that gathering together in in our second point. But the end result of that talk, as we just read from Acts 15, was that Jesus is enough. Now what does this have to do with us today? Brothers and sisters, this is more than just historical curiosity for us. It's a reminder that we all need, because I think we all have this natural tendency to think deep down that grace is just too good to be true. I mean, it is. Like those phone calls and those emails and those letters that we get that that say that we've won a million dollars or we're we got a no strings attached cruise to Tahiti. We say, yeah, right. Where are the strings? We all struggle with that inner Pharisee because, after all, the law, the Bible says, is written on our hearts. Grace isn't. Grace is foreign. Grace is alien. Grace is a wonder. And as Luke reminds us of the church that was threatened with a counterfeit gospel, the Holy Spirit reminds us this morning to search our hearts and to reject any notion of Jesus plus. For the Jews of that day, it was Jesus plus circumcision or the works of the law. All that God had required in the past. What is it for us? Well, for some, in in our past, it's been Jesus plus no drinking, no dancing, no smoking, and no dating girls that do. For some, it's Jesus plus a Republican vote. For some, it's Jesus plus homeschooled kids. For some, it's Jesus plus faithful quiet times. For some, it's Jesus plus you shouldn't struggle with that sin if you're a Christian. You see, we subtly add things to grace. We add things to Jesus. Brothers and sisters, don't let yourselves fall into that performance trap. There is nothing that you can add to make yourself a sweeter recipient of His saving love. Let me repeat that. There is nothing that you can add to yourself to make yourself a sweeter recipient of His saving love. It is by grace you've been saved. The Gospel is good news. The Gospel is radical news because the equation is Jesus plus nothing. That is true grace. No wonder they call it amazing. Believe it. Rest in it. That's the first thing I think Luke draws our attention to this morning. But there's a second important truth I want us to see, and it has to do with the second word, and that is the church. And the second truth is this. The church is God's gift of safety. The church is God's gift of safety. In our circles, Ascension Presbyterian Church, in our small little sliver of what God is doing in the world, this week is a significant week for two reasons. One is because this week is our, the general assembly, the national gathering of our church, of our denomination. Later this week, over a thousand elders from all across the United States will gather in Houston, Texas for worship, for prayer, for encouragement, for consideration of things that have to do with your church. That's the first thing that's significant. Secondly, I, and I mentioned this a couple times already, is next week we're going to celebrate together God's faithfulness to us as the Presbytery Commission comes and organizes us as a church within the PCA. Both of those things are not just beautiful pictures of Presbyterianism, but I think they're beautiful pictures of God's design of the church, of biblical Christianity. Now, we've already talked a little bit last week, and I reminded us last week that the church is God's design, and that therefore Paul and Barnabas were committed to planting churches. And that, that's always got to be a commitment of ours, is the work of the church. It's a community founded upon the faith. It's governed by elders and it's congregations who are connected to one another. Remember, those are the three things that we looked at. Here in Acts chapter 15, we begin to see some of the fruit of that design right off the bat. Serious disagreement has arisen. It's one that Paul probably was tempted to just, you know, squash real definitively, real decisively. But notice what they do. Notice what they do. These these wise elders of the early church, they gather together to consider the matter. They don't heavy, heavy handedly decree from on high, but rather they gather knowing the emotions, knowing the history that is involved, and they study the Scriptures, and they debate. I mean, what what we have here in Acts chapter 15 is really the first church council. This will be the first of many church councils that will take place in the early church as it makes its way and finds its way through a broken and confused world. And I want us to recognize a couple different things about this church council. One, this is certainly a unique time and place In redemptive history, it's not as if we can repeat what goes on here. This is the apostolic age. These people had seen Jesus, they had walked with Jesus. I recognize that it's unique. Secondly, I want us to recognize that the church gathering together to decide something is not infallible. I mean, what we have here is inscripturated for us, that's significant. But it doesn't mean that all church councils after that fact were infallible necessarily. But with those two disclaimers or or caveats, I want us to see some enduring principles from what happens here in Acts chapter 15 that affect us and that make for us the church being a safe place, being a safe God's gift of safety. First, from Peter. When Peter talks, what does he do? Peter appeals to not only his apostolic experience, but his apostolic calling. He essentially says, this this, this whole discussion that we're having, don't forget that God chose me to tell the Gentiles. Remember the, the vision he had. With Cornelius, the interaction with Cornelius, God chose me, God accepted them, God purified their hearts, God made no distinction. In other words, Peter deflects the issue to God and what God has said and what God has done in this unique age through this unique messenger, this apostolic messenger that is Peter. And then James comes in, and and James, this leader in the church, he comes in and he basically underlines what Peter says as he quotes this passage out of Amos 9. And he says, yeah, this is what God said all along He was going to do. And, And the point is this. The point I want you to see is this. When God's people face an issue that needs direction or that needs guidance, It is God's church that is His gift of safety. Paul will later tell Timothy in 1 Timothy 3 that the church is a pillar and buttress of the truth. In other words, the church is designed to to hold the gospel up before a watching world and to also protect it from attacks that it might receive from the outside. The brothers and sisters, this will take on real feet next week as your elders and as I stand up before you and we take vows to guide you and to shepherd you and to protect you and as you, in turn, take vows to submit to our leadership as we try to be faithful to what God has called us to be. This is God's beautiful design for the church and this is His design and His safety for His people But let me also say this. Our passage makes it clear that this the church doesn't hold this authority, hold this authority in and of itself. The church is always subservient to God's word. And I recognize that some in, in our world have swung the pendulum too far in the direction of yes, the church has all authority. And they have put the authority of the church, or rather the tradition of the church, on par with the Scripture. And we would never do that. We would say, no, that even here in Acts chapter 15, the apostles are submitting to what God has said, to what God has done, as we pray that being obedient to God's call for us, we will do the same. The church is God's gift of safety. It's another thing that Acts 15 teaches us. It's another thing that we can rest in and, and marvel at. But there's one more thing I want us to see this morning from this passage, and it has to do with the judgment of James. That's what it's called here in Acts chapter 15. It says that James makes a judgment. Now, just for your understanding, this is James. There are lots of different Jameses in the Scripture. This is James... The just, he was known to be called. This is the brother of Jesus. Remember, several chapters back, James the son of John was killed by Herod. This is a different James, obviously. James the just, who became one of the pillars in the early church. And what may be troubling for us, as you read through this passage, as you heard it read, is that for all this talk about Jesus being enough, it's as if James, when he kind of sums up the debate and the discussion and the decision of the early church council, when he makes this judgment, it's as if James is still placing a yoke on these Gentile believers. Precisely what Peter said that they shouldn't do in verse 10. And instead, James says in verse 19, we should write to them, and then of course we have the letter that they did write to them, we should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and sexual immorality and what has been strangled and from blood. I don't know about you, it's like, wait a second, didn't we just, didn't we just try to make the point that Jesus was enough? And now all of a sudden we're supposed to do all these things that the law says we're supposed to be free from. It sure sounds like a yoke to me. A yoke was this 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 thing that they put on the uh, On the the oxen to, to plow fields, you know, this big burden around their neck. And you know what? It is a yoke. James is essentially taking off the yoke that the Pharisees wanted to put on, and he's putting on the yoke of Jesus. That's what I want us to close with this morning. Jesus is enough. The church is God's gift of safety, but there's one more thing that this passage shows us, and and it's this. Grace calls us to love. Pretty simple. Grace calls us to love. I want you to see that Acts 15 reminds us, as one writer put it, that grace and faith level us. They level us. We had this discussion at our kitchen table the other night uh, as a family. I asked my kids, what in the world would make us, because I was challenging them, what in the world would make us swallow our pride and be humble before others? And to consider others better than ourselves when my heart is just saying, I want it to be all about me. What in the world would possess us to serve those around us. And one of them rightly said, because that's what Jesus did. You see, there are two reasons why I think James requires these things out of the Gentiles as they write this letter to the churches, as they try to make the point that Jesus is enough. First of all, there's a couple different things. First of all, sexual immorality. Sexual immorality, the culture of that day, and specifically the Gentiles and the pagan culture that they had been a part of, they likely would not have had a high regard for sexual purity. And so James and the brothers in the church want to make sure that it is stated very clearly that one of their greatest struggles is going to be to remain pure. Because when you're a follower of Jesus, that's what God calls you to be to live according to God's design. And so there's this little moral component in this list of of requirements that the church proclaims to the believers. But the other things are ceremonial things. They have to do with dietary restrictions. They have to do with exactly the kind of thing that started the whole controversy in the first place. But there's a reason why. There's a reason why James puts this yoke on them. It's not because Jesus isn't enough. It's because grace calls us to love. You see, in the very next verse, after His judgment in verse 20, in the very next verse, in verse 21, look at it. He says, For from ancient generations, Moses had in every city those who proclaim Him. For he is read every Sabbath in the synagogue. What is that? The point is, James says... Jews are everywhere. They're everywhere in the empire. And they are brothers and sisters who are struggling to pull away from the requirements, all all the requirements that they have ever known. And he says, love them. Love them by not creating an unnecessary offense to them. In other words, Don't flaunt your freedom. Love them. Grace calls you to love. Jesus is enough, but grace calls you to love. I know how I think this is an important thing for us to be reminded of in the church because I'm afraid we lose sight of this at times. Forgetting that grace ought to control us. We focus on our rights. And I'm not just talking about sinful rights. I'm talking about our Christian rights, our Christian liberty, rather than being sensitive to those around us. And of course, Paul will speak about this later to the church at Rome, and we could talk and preach a whole other sermon on this issue. But here in this first council, James reminds us Yes, Jesus is enough. But don't flaunt your freedom. Grace loves and is sensitive to those around us. It's a great passage for us to think about as a church, for us to end on at least closing this chapter of our study of the book of Acts. It's my hope and prayer that the message of the sufficiency of Jesus He's all we need. That that indeed might be on our lips. That the the safety of His church, guided by His Word, might be our comfort. And that our lives, as we love those around us with sensitivity, knowing that grace calls us to love, would reflect His glory. May it be so. Let's pray. Great and mighty God, we thank You for this passage from Your Word. We thank You for the truth uh, that it contains, the reminder of what You have done for us. Amazing grace. How can it be? Father, we pray that as we go from this place, that we might go with the confidence that Jesus is enough. That You might root out those places where we have subtly allowed uh, our performance, our good things, to be additions to Christ's work. No, may we be humbled and leveled at the cross that we might love those around us well, that we might be the church that provides safety and comfort and truth to a world that desperately needs to hear So, Father, impress these truths upon our hearts, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen.